where the intellectual elite discuss creativity and other important matters. Join me as we dig for diamonds in the wondrous caves of the artistic mind. Prepare to fill the bellies of your brain with delicious food for thought. Maybe we'll even learn something about ourselves in the process. Today, we have the honor of speaking to the Doyen, which is the alter ego of the singer and performer Saeed Poole. He writes and records all of his music, which spans from alternative hip-hop to R&B to electronic dance music. For over 10 years, he's been performing everywhere from nightclubs to DIY punk house shows. In his performance, he conveys a superhuman, larger-than-life version of himself, while also producing deeply personal and vulnerable work that expresses an extremely wide range of emotions. The Doyen stopped by our studio to discuss his creative process and inspirations. It was a very enjoyable conversation, and we are pleased to share it with you. What music or other creative works inspired you to start making your own? Oh, yeah. Um, so the first artist who really inspired, I don't know if I ever told you, my first art, the first artist that ever inspired me um, in a musical performance sense was Britney Spears. <laughs> way back, way back. I was, like, I was 12 trying to find an identity well really it was missy elliott it was the first like artist artist mm. it was like i wanted like as far as finding that black artist that i could really relate to and then it was like oh i can dance and i can do pop music and all that and that was britney spears mm -hmm. uh and then that kind of branched off into pop and into you know beyonce janet jackson you know like all these other artist but it definitely started with uh, like it all started with Miss Kelly that was my first album mm -hmm. was my first artist I was like 11 or 12 memorizing her album not knowing what it was saying not knowing what she was talking about but like memorizing that first album so yeah yeah I um I'm not that familiar with her work but I do remember just like watching MTV like yes. in the late 90s yeah and just like there being the understanding that this was a higher level that this was like kind of more so like art i guess for lack of a better term than like other stuff on mm -hmm. on mtv at the time mm -hmm. um and honestly stuff like britney spears like or even any of like the boy bands of that era or yeah, anything like definitely. that it's like i was super into like you know nirvana and also mm -hmm. other stuff like corn mm -hmm. and whatnot in that era <laughs> so yeah. like you know the the uh the, the idea was that yeah it was just like oh boy bands are crap like boy bands suck but then like rewatching yeah. any of those videos like now it's like the the choreography and just like the the craft i think was very very underrated um it, so yeah it, it it is to be it is to be appreciated again because there's you can see the work that goes into it and in on both ends of the spectrum um because i wasn't really into nirvana corn like that mm -hmm. end of it and then mm -hmm. of course going back later and you're like oh shit this is actually like hype like this is really interesting shit like the stuff they're writing about and 
the way the songs are constructed are so iconic to that time period, which was, you know, that late MTV music video era where everything mm-hmm. was very visual. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's right. That's right. We came from two ends of the same, the same channel, the same MTV era. Right. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, What are your creative routines like? Do you have any creative routines or do you kind of just create whenever whenever it hits you? Whenever it hits me. I, I usually don't. I mean, I'll make myself do it if I know I'm like, okay, I have a project and I actually want to do it. And, I, you know, I'll make myself open the laptop <clears> and get to work. But if I am just doing whatever, like what I am now, um, it's it's like, a, excuse me, it's a, um, an itch. It's an itch that needs scratching. So you'll be like, you'll sit there and you're like, I really want to. I really want to make something. I really want to work on something or kind of go back to something. I recently, I used to do a song. I don't know if you remember it uh, called uh, it was, uh, Pussy. I used to do the song. Oh, yeah. I, I remember you performing that song in, in my living room and having yes, I did. everybody shout with you. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted, I haven't done that song in like 10 years. I like banished it. And I, and every, and I told people that too. But now I'm, I'm looking at what I've been doing the last maybe like, five years and it's so melodic and so sing-songy and it's lost that essence of just the rebel part like the the, the expressive part so i want to go back to that that's kind of the vibe that i'm on so when i'm in that vibe that's when i'll pull it out and start working on stuff or go to old stuff and pull you know pull it up and work from there like i've been remixing stuff a little bit lately um and remastering because i needed to master stuff so that's been my motivation lately. yeah yeah do you feel no, like you I'm sorry go ahead no no they're fine they're fine I was, I was gonna say do you feel like you have to be like in that zone in order to uh kind of create good shit because I've definitely met people who kind of see it as like a, oh I gotta you know work from seven to eight and if I don't do you know if I don't get like that hour in or whatever then like I don't actually get to create stuff and or like nothing good comes unless I actually just like sit down with like no ideas and then I've like met met other people who they just like it'll something will just click but that uh and then like that's how they get the good stuff but like do you feel like that's how it works for you is that like it's it's the click it's always been like a word or a phrase or like something will set it off and I'm like oh my god I want to run with that and then I'll run with it Mm -hmm. um like I said, pussy. That's one thing. Cause that word just it it just it built a song around it. And mm-hmm. um, lately, I've been thinking a lot about. Um, I've probably only seen the play once. Midsummer Night's Dream and the King of the Fairies is Oberon. And that word, like like being the king of the of the faith folk, for some reason, really speaks to me. And that's really kind of been the direction I've been going in. So like a phrase, mm-hmm. it, it like really sets me off, or um, a musical idea. Like, oh, I really want these kind of drums. And I'll just go put them together and stuff will just happen from there. So that's that's super interesting. So you'll just kind of like be going about your day, maybe, and then you'll mm-hmm. hear a word or a phrase, and then you'll Eureka. And and then uh yeah. something will come of that. That's super interesting. And conver- yep, conversations or you know, you're kind of just talking to yourself type of thing, like thinking about something, and you're like, you know what, that's and then I the repeating of it especially when you hear it more than once, especially like a short period of time, you're like, okay. And that's when the click happens. You're like, I, I need to, I need to run with this. This is a song title. This is, this is an album. This is a concept. So yeah. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like there's like a reason why that was like underlined in your head of all the things that you hear multiple times a day or whatever. There's like a, yeah. something about that that like connects with you. So yeah, that makes sense. Right. 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 Um, is there anything that you haven't been working on that is still on your creative bucket list before you die? Ooh, the, the big sleep. <laughs> um, what do I, what would I really want to do? Um, performance wise, um, it's one thing to record and write and produce and all that. Um, I still want to perform and I still want to do big shows and I still want to do a lot of things I haven't really done. Um, production wise on stage mm -hmm. um so my bucket list has been um places my my all-time bucket list has always been um tina turner tina turner played the biggest show of all time for, for a long time i don't know if it's still the case uh rio de janeiro i think it was uh it was like two hundred thousand people or something stupid like that it was something ridiculous mm -hmm. and it was televised and it was but it was huge just so see of people and i want something like that that's like my bucket list moment that would be my moment just to like have it doesn't have to be the most but it's just like a huge not even an arena but like just a sea of people and just perform and like them all vibe to it that would be like so fly and that would definitely be you know i, I would love to to capstone my career that way that'll be really really cool so i'm just curious what era of tina was that this was um late 80s or so i'm thinking probably i have to look it up or something look to be sure but it was you know private dancer uh mm -hmm. what's love got to do with it that kind of her when she came back after you know she left ike she kind of was solo for so many years and she blew up again that that era mm -hmm. yeah kind of kind of near the thunderdome era yes yes yeah. yes 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 mm -hmm. I think that was right in the smack dab middle of these few years when she was just like one of the biggest stars and she was the queen of rock and roll and really people appreciated her for that. And that's what that was, I think. So I kind of would love to have a a title and then, you know, a big show like that. I've always wanted to do that. So that was my my goal is to do bigger and bigger shows. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um so you've been open just like on social media and whatnot about like, you know struggles be it like interpersonal or as it pertains to mental health or just like the shit state of the world yeah. do you feel comfortable sharing how those things have made it easier or harder for you to create and if not i can cut this out we can pretend this never no, happened you know how i am i'm gonna keep it real i mean it is what it is i left you know i left facebook for i don't know if you know but i did for uh three months and i just mm -hmm. didn't do it and I've done that before, just kind of disappear and sh show back up, you know, mm -hmm. like nothing happened, like nothing happened. <laughs> just like, hi, everybody. Um, it was a little different now. It was the summer sucked. It was work was shitty and I was depressed and I was um, nothing was coming creatively because I was, um, you know, trying to ex trying to escape from working this shitty job and having nothing to show for it. Mm -hmm. And um, that was or that was a big part of it. Um, the world, the state of the world really didn't help, um, you know, between COVID and, you know, all the stuff that's happening kind of outside of the state and outside of our city and all that and mm -hmm. you being aware of it. So, I mean, it's been a bummer. It's just been really depressing. It's just been an actual period of depression. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it, it's, I wouldn't say it's ended, but it's, it's definitely 
there's a, there's been a crescendo. Like there really has been a point where it's like, okay, like I came back to it and I'm kind of seeing things are different. It's been three months and things are different. Like the vibe is different, but um, I feel, I feel there is a, um, a place for me to, to speak on that and my experiences and that people do um, listen, people do care. People do reflect on that and relate. And um, the Twitch streaming, the, the, you know, being on camera for three hours, three times a week really helps because you really do connect people and, and they have conversations. You know, you're being silly and you're, you're entertained and then you'll get a kid who walks in like, oh, like I just broke up my girlfriend. And, and like, you're like, oh, OK. And then you go into those conversations and you're like, oh, yeah, this shit sucks. But mm -hmm. here's some other, you know, here's more to it. It's just the relatability, you know, Um I just I've keeping it real, like and I and I know we say that um you know it's just a thing to say, but I, I mean that shit. Like you really have to like be real, like and people relate to it. And that's kind of where my stance has been with the with how shitty things have been the last two, three years. Mm -hmm. You know, rolling in the you know, monkeypox and hurricanes and all of that. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um is there ever like because for me personally like when i've mm. created stuff in the past that was like deeply personal it's been kind of a source of embarrassment for me now which isn't mm. to say that like anyone else should feel that way or that even i should feel that way but when stuff is kind of um journal entry-esque mm. it can be kind of hard to like reflect on for me i don't know is that something that uh like, what is it like for you to look back on stuff from, like, years prior that you wrote when you were in, like, a certain state that you may not be in anymore? Yeah. Um, the whole... So, and... Um, I, I, it's funny that you bring that up. So, back in May, um, we did this this show um, where I was doing the songs from that the Dark World album, which was that album mm -hmm. that I put together. And they were, they, were, they were more personal songs. They were really... Uh, intentionally dark they were very much like you know talking about depression and and self-harm and all that and all of that the stuff that I was going through and still deal with mm -hmm. and I look back at that performance and I don't think it was a bad performance or anything but it was, there was a disconnect I don't recognize that person anymore mm -hmm. uh, I am I am just not we are different people and it's I don't know if I don't know if the word is embarrassment um I think the word is just disjointed like like I, I don't the connection of being in that part of my suffering and and you know dealing with the burden of human consciousness is just different now mm -hmm. and um I um I think it's important to have that stuff out there that's the reason why I I, I don't like that album. like honestly like I'm not yeah. it's not even musically I feel like I've done better stuff but somebody related to it like I actually did that show on the request of a friend who um, we got close during COVID and kind of going back and forth, you know, like just talking and stuff. And um, they put together shows and they really wanted to do like a B-side show and they wanted to focus on that album. And I don't know, you know, if the, if they took the songs the same way I did, but somebody related to it, at least one person in the universe connected with that content and took something from it. And that was important to me. So um, I try not to look at it as a bad thing, but I don't know the old. I don't like 2009 me. I don't. I don't recognize. Yeah, and it makes it makes it tough to go back to like old songs and stuff because you're like, 
I don't do those things anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the fun of it. You know, that's the, the fantasy part of it, I guess, for some people, you know, like a party girl, you know, for example, I'm, I'm very, it's a fantasy. A lot of people want to do, you know, want to go out and party till six in the morning, you know, and it's like, and that's cool, you know, and I, and I hope you take that and take the other part of it, which is, you know, the mental health part of it and, and the positivity and the, and all that other stuff. But yeah, I am. I'm not I'm not embarrassed, but I'm I'm definitely like aware of the disconnect for me mm-hmm. personally. But but other people don't feel that. So I think it's important to still keep that stuff out there. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like going back to the the person that wanted you to uh focus on Dark World, like there's yeah. the cliche, like, you know, if you can make a difference in one person's life, like, yeah. <laughs> it's all worth it. Um yeah. but I mean, yeah, like I mean, if you're if you're like me, then like the stuff the music that you got into it was beyond just like a passing sort of like hobby or just like a catchy song or something it was like something that like helped you through things much more than like family and friends did even yeah um Mm -hmm. and so like yeah it's kind of a it's kind of a returning the favor sort of things uh because we're still here for a reason and i think music is a big part of that yeah yeah um doesn't agree hard agree hard agree um so going back to you talking about like you know performing in 2009 and whatever my interpretation of because i think i saw you perform the first time was in 2011 and it was at the trunk space um i don't recall who else was played that show but anyway um Uh, obviously obviously your music's evolved since then and whatnot but it definitely always felt like authentically you mm-hmm. uh, from that period up until up until now, and that it always like all has been the same voice, even though yeah. you know there's been there's been changes and whatnot. Um, I was curious if like there was stuff that you've kind of done. I, I, I've been curious about like the experience you might have had like finding that singular voice within and if that was ever a struggle at any point or if there was ever something that you looked back on and thought like no that wasn't me oh um so starting out was never because everything was done by me um like i did the production did the writing and did the music and did the planning for the shows and all of that stuff came from me i didn't have a manager it wasn't a band it wasn't a group and I know some people work well in those environments but for me it just kind of happened and and I was very much in charge of everything mm-hmm. and the first time I opened the door to um to collaboration and to um letting someone else in and expanding that vision was in college um I did um when I went back later in life uh, a few years ago I did my um to graduate, you had to do a senior project. And my senior project was a show. Um, and I got up there, and I, it was like a little 15-minute set. It was a little, um, I, I say little because it was short. Uh, I did a few songs, and those songs eventually evolved into uh, the album, The Gestalt. And I didn't produ- I produced The Gestalt with someone. Um, and it was weird. It was very weird because those were my words, and it was those songs were written by me originally. But when it came down to, you know, adding kind of filling out the rest of the album and 
uh, you know, the structures and the harmonies and all the nuance that I usually handle by myself, all of a sudden someone else was there in the room and I had to kind of like stop and say, is does this work? Do you think this works? Can we make this better? What do you th what do you think? I've never had to ask anybody that question when it came to music. I, you know, usually I'll record something or produce it and listen to it a trillion times. And that's how I know it's good. Um, all of a sudden I had another opinion. And it's I don't hate that album. I don't it's not a negative thing or anything like that. I actually really still enjoy that album. I plan to do songs from it for a very long time, but I um it's it's the one where it's like my voice, but somebody else is underlining it, and I know it's there. And that is a really different experience for me. It really it was the Gestalt and Machina one that like that period from like two thousand oh, nine nineteen to twenty twenty one. So those last couple of years were with somebody else, and I you know appreciate them so much. Um, but that was when it was. Um, where it wasn't just my voice. It was authentic. I think I was there, but mm -hmm. it's just the, you know, that collaborative process is, is so different for me. Like maybe, I don't know if it's for me. I don't know if it's something I shouldn't have did or, or maybe I'm just that cat that's just always going to be, you know, really solo. But it that was when it was like, oh, I have, this is, this is somebody else in the, in the process. So. Yeah. I imagine that would be very tricky for someone like you in particular who has like, a very like singular vision in in my my interpretation so mm -hmm. to have like you know somebody else come in and be like i'm gonna do like a, a great guitar solo right here or something like that like right. uh, that that might uh mm -hmm. our that biggest might hinder you a little bit our biggest argument was auto-tune our biggest argument was use auto-tune because i've always um when i go to record something vocally i just do it usually one take or i'll you know and then clean it up like punch in and clean up spots where i want to clean it up mm -hmm. and instead we we did it where i would just record line by line um which was good it was it was a good practice it's something that it's it's you know something you learn to do okay cool um when i would go back and listen because he would go and take the songs and then come um uh you know i listen to it later and um he would be a front. He, he never lied about it. You know, I wouldn't realize it anyway, but it was very much like I had to auto-tune these parts. And it's like, oh. Mm -hmm. And that is a, that, that was the pushback. That was me saying like, that's not what I, that's not me. That's not what I, that's not what I did when I was recording this. And, um, you know, that, that, that was the, that was the weirdest thing. That was, that was the fight. That was the, um the thing we have to really go back and forth about um ultimately i think it made a much cleaner like it's a definitely probably one the best produced album i've ever done mm -hmm. but that fucking like auto tune i hope it's okay to swear i, I know where you're recording and, um i um don't that I, I don't i just don't think it's for everybody i think some people it's not that i'm so talented that i don't need it but it's very much a style it's very much a choice to um, change pitch artificially and that mm -hmm. was that was our that was our back and forth um i hope i answered the question i kind of i just yeah. honed in on that i just remembered that like that was like the thing like i remember those conversations very very clearly so yeah i mean there's a certain aesthetic to auto-tune it's like a talk box or something so yeah right. I, I, it, that makes sense 
Yeah. Yes, exactly. Right. One thing that uh, this is going back a few questions, but going back to okay. like whether um, you have to kind of be in the zone or whatever to uh, to produce something. It made me think there's a book that came out recently about Biggie um, called mm -hmm. It Was All a Dream. And mm -hmm. they talk in the book about how Biggie would just because he like, you know, famously would just like freestyle all his shit yeah. like on the recordings. Um, but I don't know if you knew this. He would just like go into the studio and then just like spend hours just like smoking weed and sitting there. <laughs> I mean, and and then and yes. then people would be like, "Yeah, are you are you ready?" And he's and he would just kind of you know not be ready, and then he would just be you know staring off or he, whatever, and then all of a sudden he would just get up and be like, "All right, I got it," and then he would just go into like the recording booth and then just like knock it out of the park. And I thought that that was fascinating. It is. It is. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know he was ours. I knew he would go because I know that's a rapper thing. You go into the studio and you just kind of vibe for. Right, X amount of time, and then you just record, and that's it. I know, um, uh, Wayne is like that. Lil Wayne is like that, where he um mm. just kind of just creates on the cuff like that. And I think um, Jay Z is like that too. I remember hearing about um his process, which is very much like he just kind of just does in his head, just like he'll start mouthing along to the words, and they're just there. Okay, and he's ready. He goes in there, does it, and that's the end of it. Um. And that's kind of been my approach, where it's just like I'll, you know, like when, when I'm producing something, I'll write the lyrics at the same time, and then you just go and you do it, or you do it a bunch of times, and you do little variations if you're singing it or whatever. Um, but yeah, I um, that is, <laughs> I I don't see myself doing it exactly that same way. I'm not gonna be in there for hours, or or whatever, <laughs> just vibing. But um that the the doing it once i think there's so much beauty and art in capturing performance mm -hmm. like like that's that to me is the recording process and it's not for everybody else but for me it's very much like you're you're capturing almost a show like if people through the glass you know you're in a recording studio and you see people through the glass and like that's your audience and, and you're performing to them um or in my case when i record i'm usually by myself so i you have to envision that and that's what's being recorded mm -hmm. um and and it, and it does change the sound um it, it changes the art it makes it very particular but yeah my, my process is um it's a, it's a little like that the whole off the cuff the one time one take you know you got it okay good and then you walk out and that's it and that's the end we can do this in 10 minutes and we're done mm -hmm. um type of thing um, do you feel like but, it's more authentic that way or I, is that part me, of it for me i think so for me personally like catching me in the moment like in the moment and snap framing that and that being the song um i did a song telekinetic on the first album mm -hmm. and i remember that process because i don't remember it i remember smoking a bunch of weed and i passed out and i woke up and the song was recorded i don't remember recording it mm -hmm. because i like th that's why it sounds so gravelly and so like fucked up on the out on the record because i just did it and it just worked the first time i went back and added the you know the background parts and all that but that first take it's like me just being i uh, should on red like okay regularly and I, it just those are the those are the ones i cherish those are the mm -hmm. ones that i'm like oh when i can remember the record me personally let's listen to it um those are the the tracks that i really get into when it's yeah. just like i remember that night it was raining like or, or whatever like 
stuff like that is really cool to me. So mm-hmm. that that is authentic. I think people, I think we're losing that. Cause a lot of people, you know, we we have. I, I'm actually really surprised vocaloids didn't take off. Like you know, when you punch in the words and they just kind of sing it back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's we. I don't think people do that anymore. Where they just like there's not another biggie right now. I don't think there's not someone who can just in the middle of a party of a vibe you just record it. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I've been, uh, I've been trying to do just as far as like writing's concerned is mm-hmm. um, just trying to like free write. So I'll like, just like kind of meditate for like 15 minutes or something. Mm-hmm. And then just for 15 more minutes, I'll just like write like as fast, just literally just like anything that just like pops in my head. And it's like mostly just like insane nonsense um a few times i've tried to like kind of make a sort of like ritual out of it where um i had a neighbor who uh, was an elderly woman named carolyn who i was very close to and she passed Mm. away in 2018 but Mm. like the year before that she like gave me a cape and it was like something that was like passed down through her family and uh then she gave me this cape and so i would like wear the cape while I was like free writing just to kind of like get my mind in the zone of like, all right, I mean business here. And, um, I, each time I do that, like each time I free write, there's like two lines or maybe three lines that are coherent and maybe decent. (laughs) Um, and the rest of it is just completely, completely useless. But my thought experiment with this is that I have less room to, create an artificial version of myself yes 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 that's it Um, yeah that's so So, cool so you're uh you're what is often called uh a gamer and (laughs) yeah yeah. um obviously you know uh 8-bit sort of stuff has been very influential to you musically i'd like to hear more about how video games have influenced your music be it the persona or whatever right there's a rebel in being a fucking nerd (laughs) like a gamer nerd in gay culture of course there's many of us who play games as well as you know but to and that but for that to be your identity is i feel or was for a very long time looked down upon because you're not in the scene just the same way you interpret it differently mm-hmm. so my underlying rebel was always my my rebellion was always you know yeah i'm gonna talk about you know ballroom and vogue and drag and all of these different aspects of of the gay experience especially as a performer but i'm always gonna have you know the square triangle saw you know the the electronic component to it of say a Nintendo or a Commodore or Sega Genesis and have those sounds there. Um, just as that as that little nod to say, yeah, I was that weird gamer kid and mm-hmm. I hold on to that. That's a part of my identity and I'm gonna be very upfront about it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um because I never I, I I never just created just straight A bit. I never took a Game Boy and hard, you know, like hardwired it or anything like that. Like mm-hmm. actually went to a soundboard and did it was off the plugins. So it was always like an ins- like I'm inspired by um Chiptune. Mm-hmm. Um and that that definitely like I I think it's 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 like the subtle it's like the subtle fuck you to like the the popular kids. Like while wow, you make this cool stuff from 
your uh from these uh from Super Mario Brothers 3 or something like the coin sound or something and that's just a core part of the song for example like um so yeah um yeah that being a part of the gaming part of it I mean yeah gaming changed a lot over the last you know 20 30 well what, 35 years or whatever but mm-hmm. that period of me learning music from memorizing those songs and mm-hmm. learn you know learn the melodies and all that and appreciating the 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 pureness of the electronic part of it that's definitely like always going to kind of be in there like yeah. musically and that's always going to be my rebellion against the gay status quo i guess mm. that's that's super interesting mm-hmm. um yeah yeah I, uh, I started uh playing video games more uh, during the time period when you know everybody started being like stuck at home, and I played some before that too, but more, yeah. definitely more so since I was home all the time. Right. And um, where I teach, uh, kids are by and large because I teach music, and kids are by and large yeah. a lot more into video games than than music, which is cool. Um, but yeah. we decided to do when we were teaching through Zoom, we decided to do um a week just about like the history of uh video game music from like um, you know 2600 or before that even like you know on to like now when things are kind of at the same fidelity level as like movies um yeah. but it was really interesting because uh i i learned a lot from students during that time period about just like the artistry of uh of video games in general and uh specifically video game music but video games as a whole um but uh and i always knew that video games were like art but being able to Mm. like have people talk to me about experiences where they cried when they beat this game or whatever like that was super cool to be exposed to yeah there's been plenty of of games because you invest 60 hours in some of these especially like the because i play rpgs i play um, stuff that takes a really long time to finish and you're invested you're you're in that world for you know 80 hours sometimes and when you when there's an end to it and especially when it's a, a, a fulfilling ending um it's emotional it's very emotional it's very um and that's really been something that i've wanted to capture i tried to do that a lot with the more melodic stuff over the last like couple years or so especially with video games being more um like you said more movie um more in line with movies when it comes to audio like fidelity wise and that's that, mm-hmm. that's great but there's there's something to be said about getting that kind of emotion from four mini channels you know or mm-hmm. you know having so little and being able to elicit to make someone cry or feel or remember or you know re-experience what they went through over that 80 hour journey so mm-hmm. yeah like definitely that's that's cool that that you uh that they told you like you know talking about that thank you so much for listening please follow the creative curmudgeon on instagram please tell everyone you speak to today about this podcast feel free to quote this podcast to anyone you may be trying to impress and make it a great day